Good morning. Merry Christmas. We are getting close. Merry Christmas to you here in the Lake Forest Sanctuary, to our friends up in the 01 at Highland Park, at Crossroads. So good to be with you as we draw close to maybe one of our favorite days of the year. Maybe it's your favorite day of the year coming up. So the kids are out of school now. That's the big change in the Hanbury house. So the dominant question that we have in our home is, what are we going to do for the next two weeks? I mean, Christmas is great, but uh, there's a lot more time there for us to occupy uh, as a family. And so maybe one of your traditions, uh, as is one of the things that we're talking about, is maybe we can watch some movies this year. Maybe some um, movies that we want to pick out and sort of specially sit down and watch. And maybe you have your Christmas favorites. Uh, one of the, the kinds of movies that we've gotten into recently in our house uh, are these Agatha Christie movies. Uh, so mostly they're BBC movies made out of books that Agatha Christie has written, and they're really fun whodunits. You know, so they're, they're murder mysteries, and you're trying to figure out as the story goes along whodunit. And then there's the big reveal at the end, and then it's a surprise. And so then you go back and you rewatch it or you reread it to kind of figure out, you know, what you missed along the way and trace all of those clues. Um, and we like our mysteries. I saw a statistic somewhere that said Agatha Christie is the third most widely published author in history, behind only Shakespeare and, you guessed it, the Bible. So we love the idea of a mystery. And I think what's so satisfying about a mystery is when you get to the end and there's the big reveal and you can see how the clues have been woven masterfully into the story and there's kind of a thrill uh, to seeing that mystery revealed. For the last few weeks, uh, Mike and Ben have been taking us back through the Old Testament and showing us how through literally hundreds of prophecies and events, Jesus Christ has been woven into the story of God's work in the world, all pointing to what we celebrate at Christmas and Easter, the birth and death of Jesus Christ. And we've seen it through the lens of all of these writings pointing ahead, looking forward to what we experience at Christmas. And today I want to sort of look at it the other direction. I want to look back at the event of Christmas. And one of the ways that the New Testament frames this is in the story of a mystery. So it's the idea that there have been clues given all along the way, and, and there's a sense of mystery to what was to come in Jesus Christ. And more than that, there's a sense of mystery to what it means that Jesus was born and died, and what his life and death means for you and me and for all the world. So it's a mystery not in sort of a whodunit sense, but it's, an, a myst- it's a mystery in a sense of how does this work and what does this mean, and, and specifically what does this mean for you and me. So I'm going to take us to a passage in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, and we're first going to look at sort of a, a little bit longer passage, 11 verses that reach all the way back to who Jesus was before creation and bring it all the way forward to what it means that you and I interact with this Jesus, the most pivotal figure in all of human history. And this passage is uh, personal for me as well. The ideas that I'm going to share this morning jumped out of this passage at me about eight years ago. Uh, and it was actually in a small group Bible study where we were kind of digging into the, the language of this particular section of the Bible. Uh, and some things jumped out that really um, began to change the way that I think about Jesus. And the way that my story would unfold over the next six, seven, eight years, I would need the hope that is embedded in this passage. And I'm going to share a little bit about how that's affected me personally in just a little bit. But I want to set us up for finding hope 
in particular this Christmas through this story of Jesus and through this mystery of who he is and what he has done. So the words are going to be up on the screen. I'm actually using a, a particular translation for this because I like some of the words that show up in this translation. So it's the English Standard Version. Um, the words will be on the screen. You can follow along. We'll move fairly quickly through the larger section and then zoom in on some details in the middle. So Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. says, He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, that is Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Pause there for just a minute. That's a big description of Jesus. It says he created all things, and he's the one who holds all things together. That's the beginning the beginning of this idea of a mystery. Continuing in verse 21. And you, us, you who were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. That verse I just read is a really tricky verse right there. You should should look up a sermon on that verse. We're not going to talk about it today, but that's just, that's a tough one. But here we go. Verse 25. And here's how he's he's moving to this explanation of a mystery. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'll read those last two verses again. He said, there's a mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So there's this idea that from the cosmic nature of creation and who Jesus is and what he does as the creator and sustainer of everything, there's a mystery in bringing that to bear on you and me to the point where that Jesus, that Christ, that, that person who is eternally God, according to the Bible, might actually live in you, might actually live in me 
And that's what becomes our hope. The way this is phrased in this particular translation is that's our hope of glory. Glory is this idea of our peace, of our satisfaction, our hope for identity, our hope for joy. All the things that we sing about at Christmas, the actual hope of us living this way and experiencing these things happens through Christ in you. And there's a mystery to that. And that's what I want to invite us to reflect on this morning. I want to say three things about the hope. And and I want to do it by backing up into the story, much like you would go back and retrace the steps in a mystery to see where the clues were embedded. I think very much the same thing happens in this passage. So we're going to go back to verses 21 through 23 and kind of look specifically at some of the clues that emerge in these verses for how Christ in you can actually be a real hope in your life. How it can actually be real hope in my life. And the first I want to say is this, Christ in you is your hope for peace with God. Christ in you is your hope for peace with God. Can we pull back up that slide for verses 21 and 22? And I just want to look specifically at, at the first verse and, and half of the second. It says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Now that's a, that's a harsh description, but that's a general statement about all of humankind. Inwardly, outwardly, separated from God because he is the one who is holy and blameless and above reproach. And so the fundamental problem that all of us has in this life in relation to our relationship with God is that we're separated. We are alienated because we're so different from God. We're broken. When we really reflect on our thoughts and attitudes and actions, we don't measure up to the description of God who is perfectly holy, perfectly blameless, perfectly loving. And yet, in verse, oh, can we have that one again? In verse 21, there's a change that happens. It says we go from being alienated, separated from God, to reconciled. And that's a statement of peace. Peace has been made between us and God. If Christ is in you, peace has been made between you and God because of what Jesus has done in his body of flesh by his death. So something Jesus did in dying on the cross, if we believe in him, a change has occurred from being separated from God, alienated, to being reconciled. We've had peace with God because of what Jesus has done. And you'll notice in that first part, it doesn't have anything to do with a change on our part. All it says is we're the ones who are described as hostile and evil. And yet we've come into a new relationship with God. There's there's peace that's been made. And the hope for that is because of what Jesus has done. So there's peace between you and God. And maybe better than that, there's peace between God and you. So you may still have an anger problem, might still have a selfishness problem, might still have a greed problem. All these problems that we carry around with us that we're all too aware of, despite all of those things, if Christ is in you, then God is at peace with you. Think about that. Despite who we really are on the inside because of what Jesus has done, God 
is at peace with you if you believe. If you believe in who Jesus is and what he has done. That's a remarkable truth. It doesn't have anything to do. Mike says it all the time. It's not because of our good works. So many of us have this idea that we've got to clean ourselves up to have a relationship with God. But it's all about what Jesus has done that takes us from being alienated to being reconciled, to have peace with God. And so that's the first thing I want to see is that because of Christ in you and nothing else on our part, you can have peace with God. I can have peace with God. Second thing I want to point out is that through Christ in you, through Christ in us, we can have peace, we can have hope for a changed life. We can have hope for a changed life. So yes, God is at peace with us despite our brokenness, but he doesn't leave us that way. We actually have hope that we can experience actual change both inwardly and outwardly in our lives. And this is what comes up in the, in the second half of verse 22. It says, Jesus Christ gave his body on the cross. And if we can bring that slide up one more time, that same one, uh, I want to see the, the one right before that. It's what Jesus promises to do for everyone who believes. There it is. He says, Jesus has given his body in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus has done what he did in dying on the cross for a purpose. It says his purpose is to present you and me holy and blameless and above reproach, to change us from the inside out. And I think that means two really practical things and really significant things. One, Jesus has told us that's his job. You and I, broken, imperfect people, he says, it's my job. I did what I did. I was born and died and resurrected so that I can do something in you. And that's his purpose. I like to call it Jesus' job description for his relationship with us. He's taken on responsibility. I think that's what um, another statement in the New Testament, Romans 8, 28, means. When it says, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So Jesus has taken it on as his job to do a work of changing us. And I think that means that everything that happens in our life is for that purpose. If it's true that all things work together for good, for his purposes, for those who believe in him, then practically speaking, I think we can take an inventory of every circumstance, every situation, every decision, every relationship in our lives and say, from Christ's perspective, he is using those things in order to perfect us, to do a transforming, changing work on the inside, that we, we were becoming different, that we're moving from the way the Bible talks about it, hostile and evil, to holy and blameless like God is. And he's the one who's taken responsibility for doing that. The contrast that comes immediately to mind for me, you may have heard about this, Benjamin Franklin was famous for sort of having a list of character qualities that he wanted to see changed in his own life, and so he would work on them one by one and, and put a lot of time and energy and attention into getting this thing right, and when he felt like he had mastered that one, he would move on to the next. It's the opposite of what we find here in Colossians 1. The hope that we have of a really changed life is that Jesus is doing something, despite all of the things that we see. Now, I think that's hard to believe. 
Maybe it's not hard to believe when you're sitting in church, dressed in your Sunday best, smiling, looking good. But I think this is really hard to believe when things are hard, uh, when we're at those low points. Maybe when we um, have been experiencing a challenge or a struggle for a long, long time, and there's just no light at the end of the tunnel, and things seem hopeless. I think that's when it's hardest to believe that Jesus is doing something good in our lives. So I mentioned this passage has been personal for me. Uh, About five years ago, I started to learn what anxiety is. And before that, I had no category for the chemical thing that happens in your body that causes anxiety that you can't control. So I started to have these symptoms. I'd get these random dizzy spells, um, just strange sort of pain in my body. And the worst of it was sometimes I'd lay awake at night and my heart's just racing for no apparent reason. And I think I'm having a heart attack or I think I'm having a stroke and I'm just freaking out. I think I'm going to die. And it's terrible. And if you've experienced this or if you sometimes do continue to experience this, you know um, it's awful. And I don't like that that's been sort of an ongoing part of my story for the last five years or so. I don't like that the consequence of years of poorly handled stress have got me to a place where I'm experiencing this sort of physical journey. It has its ups and downs, but man, in, in the dark of night, it's awful. And I don't like that that's a part of my life. But I'll tell you, it sure helps to go, maybe this is something that Jesus is actually using in my life. And I can tell you how he is, how he's humbling me, how he's changing my perspective, how in some of those moments when I have nothing else to depend on, I've just got to, in my mind, in my heart, trust in Jesus, trust in God in a way that when I feel good, you know, it's not so urgent. So Christ is using even that to give me a hope of a changed life. And I will say, I mean, after five years of this, and I hope it doesn't go on forever, maybe it will. I'm a different person because of that experience in my life. And I can honestly say, yeah, I do believe that that Jesus is working in that circumstance, which I hate, to change me. To, to, to work on some of those attitudes and actions and sort of um, things in my life that, that he wants to break me of. And I don't know what that might be for you. I don't know what it is in your life uh, that's just the hardest to believe that God, that Jesus can be at work in, but that's the hope of Christ in you. If you truly believe in who Jesus is and what he has done for you, then he lives within you the same Jesus who created and holds everything together. And he has said it's his job to weave all these things together to make you blameless, guiltless, perfect, ultimately, on the inside and out. He's the one who gives you hope for a changed life. Now, there's a mystery to that, isn't there? We're not always privy to the details of how he's at work, especially when we're right in the middle of it. And so, so we do have to sort of grapple and wrestle with this mystery of how it works out. But there's a fundamental truth that if we believe it, and this is what's in the scripture for us, it's, it's stated right there, for us to believe and to hang on to is that Christ in you is your hope of glory. 
And that's not just a phrase, but it shows up in the stuff of our lives. So the first two things, Christ in you is our hope of glory because it's our hope of peace with God despite our separation from him. And it's our hope of experiencing a truly changed life. The third thing I want to say, and it's going to get real practical on this third point, is that I think Christ in you, the hope of glory, is your hope of finding hope. Right? It's my hope, it's our hope of being able to find hope in the circumstances of our lives. And I see this in verse 23. Can we put that verse 23 slide up and we can see this together? And this gets to our job. I've said Christ's job is to change us. Our job is stated here in this verse. It says, all these things will be true if, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And then he goes on. But what I want to focus on is the language in the first half of that. We have a job to do. And that job is stated here. We are called to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. So simply put, if, if, if it's Jesus' job to change us, if, if he said, leave that up to me, then what is our job? I believe our job is to keep believing that he's going to do his. Just to keep on believing. This passage says, continue in the faith. Continue believing in things that you cannot see. That's how faith is described. It's it's believing things are true even though we cannot see them. And that's not an easy job. It's not an easy job in the world that we live in because everything in the world, everything in our nature says believe in what we can see not what we don't see, and it pulls us away from belief in God, belief in Jesus. But, but we're called to just keep on believing in who Jesus is and what he is doing, not only in the world, but in your life and mine. And I think, you know, when we see these phrases continue in the faith, it's further explained by the next phrase, stable and steadfast. So keep believing Be stable in it. Be secure in it. Be steadfast in it. Just keep on putting one spiritual foot in front of the other despite the circumstances of life and just keep on believing no matter how hard it is, whether or not it makes sense to us, how much of a mystery it might be. That's just Jesus doing his job. And he's going to keep on doing it and he's going to complete it. So be stable and steadfast. And then that third phrase is what I find the most interesting and what has really sort of grabbed me, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Not shifting from the hope that Christ in you is your hope. And I think the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter put that there because it's so easy for that shift to happen. So easy for us to shift away from hoping in Jesus to hoping in all of the things that we can do uh, or hoping in other things in life. And when I read this passage, it sort of just brought a silly word to mind, uh, but that silly word has helped me so much in this idea, and it's this word shifty. So, you know, know, if somebody's described as shifty, uh, this is sort of a, you know, 
a shady character, kind of elusive, you know. If somebody's a shifty character, you can't trust that person. It's not a compliment. Um, And so, to me, there's this contrast. It's sort of silly, but I think it's really helpful between real hope in Jesus in the gospel that he was born and died and resurrected so that we might have peace with God. That's the gospel. Real hope in Jesus and shifty hope in all of the things of the world. And this is so easy for us to do. It's the most natural thing in the world to shift our hope from Jesus to all of the things that that we experience in our life. And I'll give you a few examples. A shifty hope is something that, that promises something that only Jesus can deliver. So for example, Jesus promises perfect security both now and forever if we don't shift from hoping in him. But how easily do we drift to the shifty hope of money for security? Christ promises us perfect validation in our identity in him, both now and forever. But how easily do we shift to the hope of our work for validation? Students, junior high, high school, college, Christ promises you deep, perfect affirmation of your worth and value in his sight. But how easy is it to drift to the shifty hope of a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a group of friends for your identity and affirmation and your worth? We put our hope in buying things for satisfaction. That's shifty, can't be trusted. We hope in eating for comfort. That's shifty. We hope in socializing to protect us from our thoughts. That's shifty. We hope in isolation to protect us from other people's thoughts. That's shifty. We could go on and on. The things that we use to provide some hope of identity, satisfaction, affirmation, value, worth... And the problem is all these things are false promises. They will disappoint. They will let us down at some point or another. And what happens when they do? What happens when we're deeply disappointed? Well, we get pretty hostile in mind, don't we? We do things that are harmful to ourselves and others, and we fit that description that showed up of who we are. And so there's all these what I like to think of as shifty hopes that we're drawn to. And it's so easy for us because it's the most natural thing in the world. In fact, we were born into the world only able to put our hope in things that we can see. It's like there's this arrow, this direction of our life that says, put your hope in things that you can see. And we're only able to do that until we find peace with God and we find hope of a changed life, and suddenly there's this new direction that's introduced in our life that we can begin to literally shift the direction of our hope in the circumstances of our lives to what Jesus is doing. And so if I'm thinking about that in terms of my own story, in in terms of my own journey, so I've got this battle with anxiety, and and I can put my hope in sort of, okay, what, what I do and certain things do help. 
Um, or I can put my hope in what Jesus is doing. In other words, I can hope that it will go away and I can find ways to get out of this experience in my life and to resolve it because I think that's what's going to fix things. Or I can put my hope that Jesus is doing something in me, whether or not it ever goes away. You see the difference? One is a real hope because it may or may not ever go away. Whatever it is that you're experiencing, and I would, I would encourage you even now to sort of take, a, take an inventory of your life and what are those things that you just hope will change because then you can be happy or validated or affirmed or secure or whatever it is. And I think one by one, the hope for finding hope is that we can shift the things that we're hoping in from a physical, earthly, self-generated solution to seeing and understanding and experiencing what Jesus is doing. That he's doing his job, that he's changing us from the inside out. And that's a powerful, powerful tool in our lives. And I think it's especially needed this time of year because when we're carrying hard things, they're just magnified at Christmas, aren't they? And Christmas is joyful. It's a great time to celebrate, great time to be with friends, family, and to focus our attention on who Jesus is and what he has done. But let's be honest, it, it can also be the hardest time if we're going through deep waters, which many of us are. And so at Christmas in particular, what a great time to sort of call to mind the hope that we have Christ in us, Christ in you, that is truly your hope in life. It's your hope for peace with God because of what Jesus has done. It's your hope for a truly changed life because Jesus has said, it's my job. You believe in me and what I'm doing? I will change you. I will make all things right within you. And it's our hope for finding hope in the hardest situations of our lives and changing the direction of how we think, how we act, how we experience life because we live in this hope. And I can say from experience, there's kind of a thrill to that. There, there's kind of a thrill when you can see a circumstance totally differently because you believe that Jesus is actually at work. And so when we say a thrill of hope, I think that's, that's real. I think that can really actually happen. Yes, there's, there's some mystery to it. But when it comes clearer and clearer, I just pray that you and I will both experience some of that thrill of hope as we consider who Jesus is, consider what he has done and is doing for us, and that we would truly believe in him this Christmas. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for giving us this truth to think about, to meditate on, to see who you are and how you are at work, and to see how that can find its way 
into our real life experience this Christmas and really every day of the year. And so give us, give us the spiritual eyes and discernment um, to believe, to see, to understand, to comprehend this mystery. Well, thank you for it. And pray your blessing and favor on each one of us this Christmas season. And believing in Jesus, I pray. Amen. Awesome. Um, thank you for the message, Pastor Anson. Let us all rise and... We have a perfect response song that we can sing together. Come die long and expect Jesus. Come long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. And sin release Let us find our rest in peace. will strengthen consolation. Oh, for all 